Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I want to share with you a little bit about the nations. And uh, there's a verse, wonderful verse, in Psalms uh, chapter 46, verse 10. It says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Wow. Is that great or what? Cease striving and know that I am God. He's Lord of all, folks. Do we agree with that this morning? He is sovereign over everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. He didn't wake up this morning worried about the events of the day. He's not worried about the nations and all the plans. He's not worried about anything. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly how to get it done. And you know, the beautiful truth of the matter is, is we get to be a part as we yield to the Lord, as we believe in him, as we surrender to him, of what he is doing. The question is, are we willing? The question is, are we yielded? Or are we going to walk by faith? Are we going to walk by sight? We're going to walk in our own strength, our own sufficiency? Or are we going to walk with the Lord? We're going to walk in his strength and his might. Are we going to look for him in everything? Are we going to say, Lord, here's our lives. Use them in whatever way you choose, because that's the issue. We're going to look at an interesting story in Genesis chapter 11, Babel, right? The founding of the city of Babel, the reason for why it was founded, probably a precursor to Babylon. Uh, when you look at the history of Babylon and you look at the similarities of how the, the cities were put together and the, the uh, worship of false gods, the tower to the heaven and all this kind of stuff, you can see a lot of similarities there. It's, it's probable that Babel is the beginning of Babylon. And uh, there's a lot to this. We're going to run through this quickly. Um, but in the midst of it, I think it's important. I want you to kind of see where we're at on our journey. We're, we're in the seventh sermon, ninth of the year, but the seventh of the beginnings. And we've taken some time to establish some foundational things, to establish the creation, to establish the order of things, to establish what God has done, to establish his word, obviously. Uh, but the beginnings of creation, the beginnings of mankind, if you will, the beginnings of sin and how sin entered into this world. And all the different factors that we've looked at, marriage and the order uh, of roles, all these different things are important and they undergird everything that we're about to go into. We're about to go into Abram and Abraham and God's selection of a nation amongst the nations in order through which the Messiah would come for the salvation of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've looked at some of these things. We're at the Tower of Babel, and this is kind of a look forward at Israel and the law. That's the next step that we're going to get into. And uh, we're going to look at Abraham and the patriarchs. We're going to look at Egypt, the Exodus, Moses, Joshua, the conquest of the land, judges and kings. And no, we're not going to look at every judge, and no, we're not going to look at every king, okay? Uh, that'd be impossible, <laughs> but that wouldn't be impossible. It'd just take a long time. Um, and we could do that, but, uh, we've got one year. So anyway, we're, that's where we're at. That's what we're going to walk through. 
And uh, I, I encourage you to continue to read chronologically through the Word of God and to be in prayer because there is such a need for us as a church body uh, to take a step back sometimes and just get a good picture of the meta narrative, the big picture story of the Word of God that Jesus Christ truly is the hero of history. And that's why, in many ways, we're doing this. Three things this morning as we look at Babel. Uh, the whole idea of Babel, the sinful rebellion of mankind against God, really comes into three things. Rebellion at Babel, the beginning of the nations. How did we get the nations? Why did that start? How is that playing out? What's God's plan in the midst of this? There is reconciliation in Christ, and I think this is such a beautiful picture. We are invited into the greatest restoration project known to man. God's in control of it. The question is, are we willing to be a part of it? Because we have the gospel of God's grace. And the proclamation of the gospel through us allows for the reconciliation of man to the Lord himself. Now, thirdly, the whole picture of the restoration of the nations. You know, God is working in our midst, in our time, in order to bring all things together. We looked at this in Ephesians, that all things would be summed up in the headship of Christ Jesus. And so the nations coming together in a way that can only take place through Christ himself. Well, Genesis chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 10, we'll sprint through those, okay? But chapter 9 deals with Noah and Canaan's sin. And we're not going to go into all the details there. We know that they are not perfect individuals. Canaan is cursed. Uh, Shem is lifted up high. And in Genesis chapter 10, we see that Shem and Ham and Japheth are the sons of Noah. And through them, the whole earth is repopulated. All of us are related to Adam. All of us are related to Noah. And that's an amazing thing when you really begin to think through that. Uh, the nations begin to form, and you can see this in chapter 10, and they're formed on the basis of several things. First of all, family lines. Which son did they come through? Right? Was it Shem? Was it Ham? Was it Japheth? Uh, through their languages. They had different languages. Their location on earth. So geography played an important role in helping form the nations and the people groups, where they were living. Uh, I love Switzerland. It's always fascinating to me to see the difference between my relatives that live up in the mountains and the relatives that I have that live down in the valley. They are separated because of geography. In our day and age, they can get to one another pretty quickly. But the reality of it is, before they were able to do that, there was uh, a very clear divide between the two different groups as it is with all the world. You can see it here in New Mexico. You can see it anywhere you go. Uh, the geography plays a part. Now, some of you are asking, how is Genesis 11 true? Because Genesis 11 starts out the whole story that they had one language, and Genesis 10 says they had many languages. Well, think of it this way. Genesis 10 is a broad snapshot, and in the midst of that, Genesis 11 becomes a more refined version of what has already been stated. He's just simply focusing in on something of importance in the midst of a story, a narrative that he is sharing, Moses being the writer. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse 20 says, These are the sons of Ham according, and you can see this, their families according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. These are the ways in which uh, the nations were uh, developed, how they began to be separated. In chapter 10, verse 32, he says, These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. We have the flood. It brings cataclysmic events on the earth. And as a result, Noah and his family are the only ones that survive by God's grace, by his hand. Noah had found favor with God, meaning he had found grace with God. The Lord has him build an ark. He puts him into the ark. He shuts the door to the ark and he preserves them through the storm. And at the end of that storm, they're now in an entire new ecosystem. And they are told to replenish the earth. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth become the lines through which all the nations begin to be formed. Well, if you look at Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. The rebellion at Babel. right? Babel meaning confusion. Uh, speaking to the confusion of languages. The beginning of the nations. It becomes the seminal point for the rebellion toward God. Uh, by humanity. Sin had entered into the world through Adam, death through sin. Romans 5.12 tells us that very clearly. As a result, all have sinned. And the ensuing chaos that takes place because of sin is remarkable. Do you realize that when day seven took place and God pronounced everything that he had created as very good, not just good, but very good, that every order that God had created, is now marred, disturbed by sin. You, you can talk about the angelic order, Satan and Lucifer, the casting out of a third of the angels because of their sin. You can talk about the universe and creation, even creation groans, longing for the revelation of the sons of God. There's a curse on creation you can talk about Adam himself or Eve herself. You can talk about their roles and the confusion of those roles. Sin has entered in and marred every level of order, every bit of what God had pronounced as being very good. And here we begin to see that even the people groups, even the nations begin to be divided because sin has entered in and has caused division in a way in this world. That only in Christ can it ever be brought back together again. Genesis 11 verses 1 and following says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Some people have told me, <laughs> depending on who I'm talking to, if it's Spiros, he's with the Lord now, so he knows uh, the truth. He said, oh, our heavenly language is going to be Greek. And I thought, God forbid, God forbid. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. And then if you talk to a Hebrew scholar, they say, well, it's Hebrew. And I thought, wow, I don't know. Who knows? I like English, <laughs> personally. Swiss is all right. I can speak a little German. Genesis 11, 1 through 9, the whole earth used the same language and same words. It came about as they journeyed east, speaking of the mass of humanity, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. 
They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, I don't know if you catch this or not, but I think it's important to stop right there and kind of recognize what these people are saying. If you look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. When the Lord created Adam and Eve, and in the account of chapter 1, he made it very clear to them what they were to do. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Fill the earth. Subdue it. At the end of the flood, when Noah gets out, and he's with his sons in Genesis chapter 9, Verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. What we have here in these people, in this plain of Shinar that want to build this city with a tower that reaches to the heavens is pride. It is rebellion against what God has said. Pure and simple. It is a group of people that have come together and in effect have said, we don't want to do what you said. And you can say whatever reason it might be. Maybe it was because of fear. Maybe they thought they were going to be separated from one another. Maybe they thought, who knows? Bottom line. It's pride. It is self-serving. And it is absolutely in rebellion to what God had commanded them to do. Verse 5, it says, The Lord came down to see the city, this is chapter 11, and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Quite a statement, isn't it? They came together. They decided to rebel against God. They were unified in it. They were one people, one language. They were working towards one cause. They decided, in effect, that they didn't need God. They weren't going to listen to God, and they were going to do it their way. In verse 7, he says, the Lord does, Come, let us go down, and therefore confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building this city. You think? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what goes through your mind on this. I got a quirky sense of humor, but I can just imagine these people, you know? All of a sudden, this section over here, you were responsible for the mortar. And this section here, you were responsible for the bricks. And this section here, you were responsible for the scaffolding. And this section over here, you were responsible to make sure they all got water. And this section over here, you were responsible to make sure they got bread. And this section over here, you were the babysitters. You're taking care of the kids. Who knows? Whatever. And all of a sudden, everything was working really good. Bricks were being made. Bricks were being put in place. Everybody had the scaffolding. Everything engineered perfectly, right on time. Everybody was happy. The kids were great because you're the best babysitters in the history of mankind. Yeah. Watch out for pride now. (laughs) And all of a sudden, nobody can talk to one another. (laughs) Is that beautiful or what? 
The Lord comes down and says, ah, well, they're doing really good. Let's just confuse their language. Now, folks, we know that even if we speak the same language, we can be confused. We do know that, correct? We can have a hard time communicating, and we can get confused even if we speak the same language. Can you imagine where all of a sudden all these different people groups couldn't even speak to one another? Now, it says that the Lord scattered them abroad. I don't know what that means. Can I just be honest with you? Uh, Some people would say, well, people came into the Americas through the Bering Strait and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't know if all of a sudden they woke up and they had been in the tent in the land of Shinar and all of a sudden they're in the Amazon jungle in South America. I don't know. One way or another, the Lord scattered people. And one way or another, the Lord obviously confused their speech. To the point where they could not continue to do what they had been doing and been doing very successfully. Verse 9 says, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language Of the whole earth, everybody's language was changed. And we know from chapter 10 that people's language began to dictate what nation they were a part of, just like the geography did, just like the the line that they were from, family line that they were from. God's judgment on the nations, on the people groups, because the word nations doesn't have anything to do with boundaries. It has everything to do with people groups. God's judgment on the people groups of our world is the separation, the confusion, the lack of understanding, the lack of unity, the lack of cohesiveness. And we see its devastating impact today. I like this quote out of the Bible Knowledge Commentary. The writer says, The theme of pride here then is important. God puts down those who exalt themselves in pride. Scattering with its wars and conflicts is better than unified apostasy. God's plan will be accomplished if not with man's obedience. Catch this, because God is God, He's sovereign, He's the Lord than in spite of man's disobedience. Folks, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? We, we have to always guard against pride. We have to run to the Lord and ask him really to guard us because pride is a part of the fabric of our flesh. We're proud in what we build We're proud in what we do. I mean, you can fill this list in. Uh, I hear today in, in one way, shape, or form in all of our political candidates the idea that we are going to make this country awesome again. And folks, I'd love to see America rejuvenated. Amen. But it's not us that's going to do it. God's the one who is sovereign. God's the one who lifts up nations and puts them down. It is in the Lord that we are strong. It is him and him alone that is able to accomplish that. 
question is, are we going to come to him and acknowledge that we're in need of him? Or are we going to continue to walk in such a way that we're just like these people, that we think we can build something in spite of him? Pride in our own ability, our own strength, our own wisdom, or an attitude that we don't need to listen or trust God, but that we can do our own thing, pervades in so many ways everything. We see it in ministry. Pride in ministry. My goodness. We could go on and on and on. Friend, it's sin. It needs to be confessed. It needs to be agreed with God about what it is. And it needs to be repented of. It needs to be acknowledged that it is sin. And we need to run to the Lord, ask him for forgiveness, and be cleansed of it. Because the only way, and I don't care what level you want to put this at, I don't care if you're talking about a particular local church, I don't care if you're talking about your family, I don't care if you're talking about a community, I don't care if you're talking about a nation or anywhere in between. The only way for things to be built up, the only, things, oh, the only way for things to be successful is in Christ. Period. And friends, we're in a day where the whole spirit of the Antichrist and the pride of humanity is indescribable. Let's guard one another in that because we need the Lord. We need his grace. We need his goodness. We need him in all things. Amen? Amen. Reconciliation in Christ is beautiful. I think what's amazing is even though you have this breakdown of all these different things that God has done, the marring of all that God has created, I think the beautiful picture here is that in Christ, these things can be reconciled. Matthew 28, you know this well, I'm sure, verses 19 through 20. The word nations is actually the word ethnic. Ethnos is the word. It means ethnicity. It is people groups. So when you look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the what? Nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a beautiful picture. What's our calling? It's to follow the Lord in his commission, in his work, to declare the gospel, no matter where we go, with no matter who God places us with, in order that they might come to know Christ and then begin to learn to walk with him, follow him, to live by faith, to be persuaded that God is everything. In Romans, this is a beautiful picture of this because the book of Romans is just an amazing letter. And it deals with our justification, which is our salvation at the very point of salvation. It deals with our sanctification, which is our walk now as a result of being saved in Christ. And it deals with our glorification. What are we looking forward to? It deals with the whole thing, salvation in its full context. And there's two bookend moments to Paul's epistle. Romans 1 verses 4 through 5 
He writes this about himself and his apostleship. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. For what purpose? To bring about, and it's translated this way in the New American Standard, the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, all the nations, all the ethnic groups for his name's sake. Or if you look at Romans chapter 16 at the very end where he reiterates this. In verses 26 and following, he says, Now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. And then there's this phrase again, leading to obedience of faith. What does that mean exactly? One commentary puts it this way. As calling people from among all the Gentiles. And you could translate that statement in the New American Standard to the obedience of faith in this way. To the obedience that comes from faith. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and then obediently following him in every area of life. Or as the Grace New Testament Testament commentary puts it this way. The phrase is a general reference to obedience and faith which is the way the New Living Translation translates this expression, so that all nations believe and obey him. The the point of the matter is, is that this gospel is being proclaimed for a purpose. What's that purpose? That people would come to know Christ and learn to walk with him. That they would believe in him, that they would have faith in him, they'd be persuaded that salvation truly is in him and in him alone, and then walk with him obediently in his strength, in his power, indwelt by him. And in the context of Romans, what Paul is writing about is that all the nations would see this take place. All the ethnic groups would see this take place. We're called to follow the Lord. We're called to present the gospel to the world, to present hope, reconciliation, salvation, so that each and every person, each and every ethnic group might be restored into a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Global restoration program that God is leading. You see the breakdown of it all? Because sin enters the world. And every order has been marred. And we see at Babel the pride of humanity as they refused to listen to what the Lord had commanded. And as a result, the judgment of God in dividing peoples into nation groups. But in Christ, as we proclaim the gospel of God's grace, there is the opportunity in the Lord, to be reconciled to the Lord and to one another. What does the restoration of the nations look like? <laughs> wow. Later this year, we're going we're gonna to take some time and look at eschatology at the end times and look at Revelation and some of the things that he says in there concerning the end times. And can we go sprinting to the end of the story in order to get a glimpse of that at the beginning of the story? Because the beauty of it is that God knows what's happened and he's working a plan in order to bring it to full fruition with regard to his plan. Revelation chapter 5 
uh, we're given just a beautiful picture in verses 8 through 10 of what I believe is a picture of believers, the church. We have a, a scene in heaven, the throne room of God. In verses 8 and following, he says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, I believe the 24 elders there are a picture of the body of believers, the church, which have already been raptured. They fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God, with your blood, listen, men from every tribe and tongue and people and what? Nation, ethnic group. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Wow. The body of Christ is a picture of the nations coming together. I don't know if you've been overseas or not. I don't know if you have worshipped the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ who you don't even know how to speak their language. But there's something about that that's special. You don't even know this person. You might be there for one week. And you get to put your arm around them. You get to teach them the word. And and they begin to share with you the story of their life. And suddenly, through an interpreter, even though you can't speak to them directly and understand their language, there's a resonance between the two of you. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives within them. And the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And there's a joy that you can't even imagine. That's Christ. That's the Lord. That's the bringing together of all the people groups and reconciliation and restoration in the Lord. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and following, we get another picture of this. Those saved during the tribulation. And I don't have time to go into all the details of the tribulation. We'll get there, okay? I do have a timeline. It's all good. But I believe after the rapture takes place, this world's going to go through Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of time that's otherwise known as the tribulation. The latter half, the latter three and a half years are called the great tribulation. It's going to go through a period of turmoil, the likes of which has never been seen. People will be crying out for the rocks to fall on them so they could die because of the wrath of the Lamb rather than repenting. Brutal. Brutal time. Judgment on this earth. I believe there are people that are going to be saved during that time through different means. There's the 144,000 that are going to be proclaiming the gospel. There are the angels that are flying in the mid-heavens proclaiming the gospel. There are the two witnesses, Enoch, I believe, maybe one of them, and Elijah proclaiming the gospel. And it's a beautiful picture in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, where he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow. A multitude that were won to Christ in the midst of the judgment of the tribulation. Verses 13 and 14, we're told in Revelation 7, one of the elders answered, saying to me, because John didn't have a clue, who are these people? He says, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white. 
in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Every tribe, every ethnic group, people are going to be saved during the tribulation. At the end of the age, prior to the millennium, you got Daniel's 70th week, you got a seven-year period of time. You enter into the time of the thousand-year reign of Christ here on this earth, a literal reign. Right before that, there's an important moment in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Did you catch that? That he would not deceive the nations any longer. What do you think Satan's trying to do right now? Deceive the nations. Deceive every tribe, every people group, every ethnic group. Boy, you can see it. You go into certain areas of the world and you just see the poverty. You see the lack of hope, the destruction that the lie of Satan has had in the midst of that group, those people. He's going to be bound. He's going to be thrown into the abyss and and he's going to shut it and seal it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed, after these things, he must be released for a short time. So during the millennium, praise God, he's going to be bound with a chain and he's not going to be able to get out. He's in the abyss. Thousand year reign of Christ. Without getting into all the details, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 And following, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. (laughs) Who's our enemy? Satan is. What are we told and what are we warned to be careful of? Satan, why? Because he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Praise God, in Christ, greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. We know that we were once children of the wrath, even as the rest. But now, because of God's great mercy, we've been rescued. How? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Satan is still trying to deceive the nations. We know that Satan's time is short, and he knows that. And with great wrath, he seeks to deceive the nations and take as many people to the pit with them that he can. God's grace is greater. Amen? In Christ, we can see that which has been fragmented and divided and torn apart, the beginning of which we see at Babel in terms of the nations. And now we see that God has a plan, a restoration program that you and I have an opportunity to be a part of. When we come across people and we see people and they're without hope, they don't know God, they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not saved. They've bought into the lies of Satan and this world system, which is under his power. He's the prince of the power of the air. As the Lord leads, as the Lord empowers, as the Lord gives us wisdom, and as the Lord even gives us the very words necessary for that particular moment, as we say, yes, Lord, here's our lives. Use us in whatever way you choose. We have an opportunity to be a part of God's great restoration program. What sinful rebellion 
has divided. God's salvation is restoring. I'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and following. In spite of the fact that pride is what brought this all about, the Lord gives a wonderful truth. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 7, he says, All of you, all of you, believers, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, and here's a wonderful, wonderful truth, but gives grace to the humble. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Wow. Is that beautiful or what? Folks, we realize the the world war that we're in, the spiritual dilemma, truth versus that which is false, a lie. And the opportunity to be used by the Lord, to grow in Christ, to be deepened by him, to experience him in the midst of everything, to share the truth of the gospel of God's grace, to walk with him in humility, recognizing our need of him in every area, every stage of life, understanding that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.